That's a mud wasp. And they're called mud wasps because that's what they used to build their nests. Mud. Some of them build it on walls, but other species like to find a hole and plug it, add some prey and then plug that, add some more prey and plug that and so on. Do you know what? Australia is infested with these wasps, especially over there in the East Coast. And if you're especially interested, Brisbane Airport. And do you know what? Modern aircraft have some very interesting places for wasps to find their nests, like the pito tube. Now, you may not know what it is, but that's a thing on the outside of aircraft, just sticking out a little bit of hollow tube that the planes use to measure airspeed. And in fact, airspeed is such an important measurement on aircraft that every plane is fitted with not one, not two, but three of these pitot tubes. Lots of redundancy. But you know what? They found that these wasps can start building a nest in a, one of those tubes within 20 minutes of a plane landing. And they can completely block it in two hours. Anyone want to go to Brisbane now? Hmm. Well, Brisbane had developed a strategy. Special covers with these high, high visibility lanyards. Can you sort of see it hanging off the front of the plane there? Yeah. All aircraft for staying any length of time on the tarmac. And, of course, it hardly needs to be said, they must come off before takeoff. So, you can guess what I'm going to say now, don't you? Along comes Air Malaysia. About to use Brisbane as a brand new route. So they landed and the three covers are applied. And then amid all the myriad details during turnaround, uh, someone was told, but did they hear? Mm, did they write it down? And then what about the four walk-around inspections they always conduct during uh, the plane or the planes on the ground? That's required of them by ground staff and flight crew. Now, the security camera picture is pretty poor quality, but can you sort of see it there? Something hanging down? How could they miss it? Okay, push back, taxi onto the runway, began to take off the instruments. No airspeed. They should have aborted takeoff then and there. But, minor distraction on the radio. Wasn't looking. Faster, faster. Off they went. But still no airspeed on the instruments. Oh, they were flying, but, you know, they had to come straight back down and to lots of... Well, have you ever seen one of those? I have. They make interesting reading. Lots of unwelcome attention. Hey, but it's not so much the wasp. It's the mud worthless looking bit of mud where even a tiny amount in the wrong place can ground a multi-million dollar piece of technology. Yeah, the mind boggles, doesn't it? 
Now, we might say high in the uh, uh, spiritual dimension, but reality is it's still mud. And wherever there is mud, it won't fly. And that really is a parable of Israel. God had wanted them to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. He had that vision for them. And sure, when you go through their history, there are times of revival, times of reformation, times when they seem to have come so, so close, but they never quite got off the ground. But let's not be unfair to Israel. You know, what started off in the Garden of Eden, so beautiful, so wonderful, how long did it take to descend to something like this? Mud. And once you're stuck in the mud, you're really stuck, aren't you? Ever driven a car and got stuck in there, mud? Yeah, fun job, isn't it? <laughs> it's not for the want of trying. You've got teams of social workers and politicians and academics, all the rest, you know, trying hard, getting us out of the mud. It's been going on for centuries. But does it make it better or worse? And then on the other hand, there's a picture missing there. Some people just don't care. They're quite happy just to wallow in it, like this particular creature. Now all this is in complete contrast to the picture that we presented last time. And that was the picture of being us there on board a plane way above it all. Yes, whatever may be happening in the sky, whatever may be happening on the ground, all because of Isaiah's words, which were, it will all be on his shoulders. He's going to be responsible. No matter what was on the outside, we're on the inside, we're safe. And he will see us through. Kind of like the words of Paul. You know, we are part of a radiant church. A church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. A church that is holy and blameless. That's us. Free of mud, if you like. No longer the long history of Israel going nowhere. Nevertheless, Jesus came down here to establish his kingdom. Amongst all the mud, you might say. And he was going to do it in a way that was systematic, thorough and permanent. And the first step was to free all those stuck in the mud. Free from the guilt and the dominion of sin. And that leads us today to an even more remarkable prophecy that you find in the book of Zechariah. These words, it says, I will remove the sin of this land in one day. Now that verse is amongst some pretty heavy imagery there, but... This little short section is clear and unmistakable. Just one day. And notice Zechariah says, this land, only this land. Yes, Jesus died for the sin of the world. The benefits are freely available to all. But Zechariah just says, no, it encompasses 
only those who accept the divine provision. Those of the new Israel, God's people, his church. And you might say the, what I would call the 2020 version of Zechariah's words would be, I have removed the sin of this land. The land found within these boundaries where you find yourself sitting right now. That's the place where sin has been removed once and for all. The guilt is gone and the dominion is gone. And when did this day start? With the setting of the sun on a Thursday evening before a Passover meal. At the time when Jesus gathered his disciples together, that's when the clock started ticking. That's when he told his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Passover. That celebration of their deliverance from slavery back in, e in Egypt. When they were about to begin that journey to the promised land. This was the part of the day that Jesus said, I'm especially looking forward to. Just a short time, a little pinch of time on that day of fellowship, of quiet companionship with his disciples. But even when within this time spectrum, something else was present. Mud. You see, Jesus came to deliver them and us from another kind of slavery. The, the slavery, let's say, a far, far worse form of slavery. Being a slave to sin. And that's why I think mud makes a really good analogy. And so, as the day began, don't be surprised when this day started. It was just like every other day had been before. Going back, sinners do what sinners do best. And what's that? Sin. Rivalry, jealousy. Yes, that was all there. And so right at the beginning of this day, Jesus set about removing the mud, worthless mud, taking a towel, a bowl, and washing their feet one by one, making them clean. Yes, they were about to, yes, they didn't even know it or realise it. They were about to become founding members of his kingdom. And that's how this day kind of started. Washing their feet. So how was it going to end? Well, that's where we come to those last three words of Jesus at the Passover feast. Where he says, this Passover with you before I Suffer. Those three words. The story now becomes so familiar to every one of us. Like the words of the hymn. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Of those three prayers in the garden where Jesus sweated blood. Horrified by the prospect of what lay ahead. Crucifixion. Nevertheless not my will but thine be done of betrayal, of trials, of judgment, of Pilate washing his hands as if he could, of a procession of three crosses, of that cry of desolation, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the cry of victory. 
It is finished. Yes, Jesus suffered the death of a criminal, but the burial of a king. And with that, the day ended with the setting of the sun. Jesus resting in the tomb. That was the one day. And you know, so many of the Old Testament prophecies there are kind of spotlights and they point all to that one day. And these are the few that just came to my mind quickly. 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah, beaten, flogged, Isaiah. He would intercede for his, persecu- with his persecutors, Isaiah. Not one bone broken, the Psalms. His garments would be divided by lot, by gambling, Psalms. Given vinegar for his thirst, the Psalms. Darkness would descend over the land, Amos is speaking. Sacrifice would come to an end, Daniel's prophecies. Pierced in his side, Zechariah speaking again, and be buried with the rich. Now I'm sure I've missed some. So if any come to mind, feel free to remind me afterwards. But this was the day. The day the disciples would never forget. To see Jesus on the cross, it must have seemed so, so wrong. But then, how much wrong is in today's world? Indeed, the cry for justice, that must be one of the loudest cries that we hear. All the wrong, any wrong, every wrong cannot be made right. Cries for closure, to put things right. But Jesus said no. He just stepped in and said no. That's not up for you to do. Leave all the questions of blame, of guilt, vengeance. Just, just let it go. Let it fall on me, all the consequences. That's what Jesus made clear to men and angels. That's what must happen to get us out of the mud. Sticky, awful mud. Let it rest on his shoulders, even where it went all wrong. It's him, not us. That's the way out, the only way out. Jesus' final cry, it is finished, meant exactly that. Sin. All of it. Gone. In one day. And you know, after that, everything else becomes possible. Like a resurrection, ascension back to heaven, Pentecost, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. As the new Israel, the church takes off and literally begins to fly. That's why that analogy of the aeroplane, you know, once they've checked it and everything's in order and those plugs have been pulled. That's when you push back, you fire up the engine, you taxi, you take off. But, you know, with aeroplanes, okay, it's A to B, but... With what we're talking about today, it's A to forever. So now in winding up, let's come back to that upper room. For Jesus, under his own authority, kind of stepped in, replaced the over. A feast grounded in tradition and background with so much meaning for Israel. And in that evening, he put in its place the bread and the cup, a new way to fellowship, 
a new way to celebrate with what we call communion. And this is the meaning of the bread and the cup for new Israel, God's church. And you know, we can celebrate now because we're no longer stuck in the mud. We're above it. And when you're above it, you're up in the sky, you can actually see in all directions. You know, you can look up. You can see Jesus. We are part of his kingdom, his government. You can look down. And what's there? A serpent with a crushed head. You can look side to side and what do you see? Fellow travellers. You can look back to that one day. Hear again those words. Who, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And finally you can see what's ahead. And there are the final three words of those verse in Corinthians. Until he comes. And with that, everything is in place. The kingdom is with us. It's in us. And we are part of it. The church in God's eyes is clean, ready for Jesus' coming. So let's now gather around the table.